your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, and we're in our series, Always Abounding. We're learning to measure ourselves by the marks of always abounding in the work of the Lord. So I want you to take your lesson notes. We've been doing this for the last three week, last few weeks. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's right there at the top of your lesson notes. And let's read it out loud with a good uh, Royals, let's go Royals, let's go Chiefs voice. I just think you're out there, and let's read it together. Beginning, therefore, are you ready? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Man, that sounded good. What areas are we to be abounding in? So far, the first area that we've looked at is stewardship. Stewardship. We are to be always abounding in our stewardship. And we saw that meant always abounding in giving. Giving our resources away for the mission and the progress of the gospel. We talked about the offering, which you can already be giving to, but the offering in September to offset the, the, uh, the cost of the cages to protect our air conditioning. We talked about always abounding in hospitality. That's the stewardship of sharing your resource, not so much giving them away, but inviting people in. And we talked about how uh, what we're going to do here this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, is an example of that for these missionaries. Then we talked about always abounding in proclaiming. You know, the greatest resource we have is this one right here. Greatest resource we have is this one right here. And many of the countries that these missionaries are trying to learn how to connect to are countries that don't readily have this resource available. And one of the greatest ways you can be a steward is to regularly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. I already had someone in our class come up and tell me, talk to a lady this week, she's ready to commit to a church, she's looking for a church, she wants to get planted in a church. Man, I told her about our great church. Would you pray for Sarah? You bet I'll pray for Sarah. I'll pray that she would come and get connected. And if it's not our church, then another church, but a church that exalts Jesus and, 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 and uh, proclaims the gospel. Well, today we're going to look at another area, and we're going to look at it for the next couple of weeks, and it's this, small group community. Another area that we are to be always abounding in is small group community. And that's coming at a good time because today we're kicking off our sign-ups for our fall session of Grow Groups, our small group ministry here at Glenwood. And so hopefully the next few weeks you're going to get motivated and see the great importance of being involved in small group community. Well, here in, in 1 Corinthians 16, small group community is all over this chapter. I know this is the last chapter of the, of the, of the book. I know the, by the time you've read this you know, letter, you're ready to move on. If you're in your Bible reading, it's easy to sli- uh, uh, very, move very quickly through the last chapter of a book. But there's great stuff in here. Let me show you. Small group community saturates... This entire chapter. Look at verses 5 through 7. In 5 through 7, Paul makes a big deal about, hey, it's a priority for me to spend time with you. I don't want to just fly through Corinth. I want to spend time. I want to stay there. And boy, if there's one thing that's true about building community, it takes what? It takes time and it takes presence. You've got to show up 
and you got to stay there for a length of time to build community. So he, he says that in verses 5 through 7. Then look at verses 10 through 11. In, in, in verses 10 through 11, Paul keeps the feeling of family at the forefront by referring to the brethren and referring to Apollos as his brother. And all I want you to see there is that he's not looking at other believers as just people. He's looking at them as family. we got a lot to say about that. That relates directly to the holy kiss that we're going to look at today. But all through this chapter is that feeling of family. And then look at verses 15 through 16. Here in verses 15 through 16, Paul wants households, whole homes, whole networks of families to be mobilized for ministry like Stephanus and his household. People who were dedicated, their household was dedicated to always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then drop down to verse 19. I mean, we're just moving through the chapter. Look at verse 19. Aquila and Priscilla are always abounding in hosting a church. And in those days, when you hosted a church in your home, that was a small group. Okay, they didn't have mega churches. They didn't have thousands upon thousands. And so when you hosted a church in your home, you were hosting a community, a small group. And what's fascinating is when you trace Aquila and Priscilla through in Scripture, uh, although it's not explicitly said, I believe they had they opened their home in Corinth. They certainly did in Ephesus, where they are at the time of this writing. And later, in Rome, they did the same thing. The bottom line is, you got a married couple who are committed to always abounding in hospitality and who are building small group community by hosting and leading small groups in their homes. Wow. And But there's one area here of small group community that you might miss or you might read over very quickly, and I hope... This week and next, you'll never do that, and it's this. The familiar but mysterious aspect of community called greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if this is your first time here and you're like, what in the world? Because we are going to do application. Okay, We're going to do application. We're going to do application today. And I know some of you just came for that application. I'm glad you're here. Now, here's the and that's good news because, listen, Greeting one another with a holy kiss uh, is going to be good for your health, not only spiritually but physically. I found this uh, this week. If you want to be happy, healthy, successful, and live longer, give your spouse a kiss before you go to work each day. That's the conclusion of a study. All these wives just instantly looked up here. That was fascinating. Uh, <laughs> give your spouse. That's the conclusion of a study conducted by a group, a group of German physicians and psychologists in cooperation with insurance companies. That's interesting. According to Dr. Arthur Sosbo, the study found that those who kiss their spouse each morning, listen to this, they miss less work because of illness than those who don't. They also have fewer auto accidents on the way to work, okay? They earn 20 to 30% more monthly. And these are people kissing over here. They're just like they're just like engaging. They live about 5 years more than those who don't even who don't even give each other a peck on the cheek. The reason for this, Dr. Sosbo says, is that kissers begin the day with a positive attitude. 
A kiss singles a sort of a seal of approval. Now, that right there in this secular study, the secular illustration is filled with theology. Because we're going to see that greeting one another with a holy kiss is a seal of approval. It's a seal of acceptance. Uh, Listen, theology is everywhere. You just need to know God's word to be able to see it in the world around you. He says it, it, it signifies a seal of approval. And they believe those who don't experience, for whatever reason, go out the door feeling not quite right about themselves. Whether you give this study any credence or not, a goodbye kiss every morning can do you no harm. Maybe you can expand the study and write a book, pucker up to grow rich, feel good, and live longer. It could be a bestseller. So, uh, if you didn't get anything, if you're not going to get anything else out of today's lesson, hey, kiss your spouse if, if you're married, and if you're not, get a dog and uh, kiss that dog and and be happy. Uh, but listen, we're not talking about that kind of kiss. That's the kind of kiss you immediately think about when you hear a holy kiss. We're talking about a different kind of kiss. Look at verses 19 through 24. This is small group community expressed by the holy kiss. Look at verses 19 through 24. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca which is a shortened form of Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. And then here it is. Greet one another with a holy holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. One last observation before we dive in from that reading, and and it's this. Number three, greeting one another with a holy kiss is the language of fellowship. It's the language of fellowship, the language of community, the language of doing life together. In fact, I have it there in your notes. Greet one another with a holy kiss is merely one of 33 commands that we call the one another's. And you see them there, all 33 of them. There's 25 positive ones, three out of four are positive, and there are eight negative ones. And you put those together, and all 33 of these one another's must characterize our fellowship if we're to really love one another, and if you're really going to experience biblical community, you know you're experiencing biblical community when all of these facets are a part of your life in a small group over time. Now, obviously, you know, you, if you come to our first small group September 13th, you're not going to experience all 33. Boom. Possibly, but not likely. It's over time. But notice down there, I have them alphabetically, right down there under G. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Those who are always abounding in small group community understand this truth. And I want you to see that there on the left. Every born-again believer is my brother or sister in Christ and my co-laborer in Christ. So we should love one another by sharing God's word and God's work with one another. And that's what fellowship is. Fellowship is not just having coffee and feeling good with your best buddy. Fellowship is sharing in the word of Christ, sharing in the work of the gospel. Those ladies and men who have signed up to serve on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week are going to have a level of fellowship uh, and, and a bonding 
through the doing the work of the Lord. And so, you know, sometimes we just get, you know, small group community, fellowship, and we have a tendency to think, oh, that's just all these warm, feel-good fuzzies, and we forget that even in hard work, our team in Barbuda, every campaign I've ever gone on, when we do hard work together, you bond together. You do many other things together, but you also bond together, okay? There's, there's, there's all sorts of exciting things. So, this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a study. Well, let me just say this. I think that point is important for you to about for this reason. Here's how most of us, here's how I do, and I'm sure you're, you're, you do as well. When you hear, greet one another with a holy kiss, you immediately laugh, okay, in this culture. In other cultures, you wouldn't. In other cultures, you would immediately do that. And you'd say, why are the Americans laughing? But you laugh, and you immediately make a joke about a romantic kiss. Now, if you've been in Bible college, you know that, okay? If you've been around the Bible, and you say, hey, holy kiss, right? And then what we do, and the reason we do that is we think, oh, it's a cultural thing, and then what do we do with that command? We ignore it, exactly. We just, we laugh, we make a joke about holy kisses, and there's nothing wrong with that, so I don't want you to, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting you down for that. But what we tend to do is, that's a cultural thing. You know, I, I, it happened in the office today. Dana and Kim were in there. I said, hey, let's practice the holy kiss, because I'm teaching on this. And, you know, and they immediately, no, 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 we're going to do that. I'll kiss my husband. I'll kiss my husband. I get that. We don't, we don't do any romantic kissing in the office. But here's the idea. Here's the idea. We typically see it as a cultural thing, and then we ignore it. And I want you to see that it is one of 33 commands that we don't have the liberty to ignore. So this lesson and next week's lesson is very important for you to grasp and get because we are commanded by the Lord to build community by greeting one another with a holy kiss. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're answering one question. What's in a kiss? We're going to look at the meaning of kissing in the Bible. Are you ready? And you feel free, uh, as long as you have the permission of your, of your partner there or your, uh, your table mate, to practice whatever you want along as we go. But let's look at it. What is in a kiss according to the Bible? The first thing is this. A kiss is a cultural expression of showing affection and even adoration, affect and even adoration. It's a cultural expression of showing affection and even adoration. And so we're going to look at two types. That's two types of kissing. These are the main two types of kissing in the Bible. And the kiss of adoration is an act of worship, and the kiss of affection is an act of fellowship. So let's look at those uh, briefly. And all I'm doing here is kind of giving you a theology of kissing from the Bible. And as I work through this, I would encourage you as parents, you need to take note of a lot of this. A lot of this is directly applicable. You ought to be talking uh, to your teens, talking to your young teens, because we're in a sex-saturated society. Kissing is done I, 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 I more and more. When I was growing up, uh, it, you know, it's nothing to go to school and to hug one another and to be kissing on one another. And we need to have an understanding of what kissing is in the Bible. Amen? So don't, you know, think about this for yourself, but also think in terms as a parent. You know, what's my kid think about kissing? And, and it doesn't line up with what we're seeing in the Bible. So the first thing I want you to see is the kiss of adoration is an act of worship. It's an act or an expression of worship. The kiss of adoration is an expression or an act of worship. 
And let me give you two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The first one is from the Old Testament. A kiss was an expression of total submission. Total submission to the one true God and His sovereign King. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Total submission. So, a kiss can symbolize many things. And when it comes to worship and adoration, it's an act of total submission. Look at Psalm 2, verse 10, verses 10 through 12. And here's what it says. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges judges of the earth. Look at verse 11. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Worship, adoration. How do you show this? Verse 12. Do homage to the Son. Now, the New American Standard translates that according to what it means. It means worship, do homage, totally submit. A, 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 a absolute literal translation is kiss the sun. How many of your Bibles have kiss the sun? Okay? And so, and, and, and the, great, uh, the greatness of that is that's literally what's there, kiss the sun. The, the thing is, again, as Americans, we're like, what? What are you talking about? More than likely, what that's referring to is bowing down to the ground, kissing the feet. Kissing the hand. In other words, saying, look, I submit. I submit in humble adoration, in total submission. I worship you. Do homage to the Son. Kiss the Son, that He not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I think of the person who is in desperate need. And I think of someone in great power and authority who holds your life in their hands and you fall at their feet and you grab their hand and you just say, help me, help me, I love you, I need you. That's the kind of worship, that's the kind of kiss. Isaiah 49, 23 says this regarding Jesus as the Messiah, as the coming king. Kings will be your guardians and their princes your nurses. In other words... The kings of the earth are going to be your servants, Lord, when you come, because you're the king of kings. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. Lick the dust of your feet. Just another picture of kissing the feet of one in total submission. So there you got a kiss, an expression of total submission. But here's another one from the New Testament. Here's one that that fleshes out for the New Testament. A kiss was an expression of humble devotion. Humble devotion. And turn your Bibles to Luke 7. Total submission and humble humble devotion. Probably the most famous, the most uh, one of the most famous, probably not the famous, but one of the most famous kisses in the Bible is the kiss in Luke 7 of a broken, sinful woman who repeatedly and intensely kissed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Luke 7, verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet. This woman is so humble in her adoration of Jesus, so aware of her sinfulness, so aware of his greatness, that she doesn't even approach from the front. She comes from behind. And here's what she does. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet 
and anointing them with perfume. And the word for kiss, there's like three words for kiss in the Greek New Testament. And this is a word that's very intense. It means to kiss passionately, not in a sexual way, but in an emotional, intense way. And to kiss repeatedly. This woman is weeping and kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing the feet of her Savior. But Simon, the Pharisee, never washed Jesus' feet, never welcomed him, never greeted him, did not worship him, did not feel he needed him. Look at verse 44. Luke 7, verse 44. Turning towards the woman. Turning towards the woman. I think that's powerful. He says to Simon. He, the woman's behind him. Simon's in front of him in a place of prominence. Jesus is literally turning him back on the important person and facing the woman. He's speaking to Simon behind him to visually remind Simon, look, you don't know who I am. You don't understand how sinful you are. You aren't worshiping me like this woman is. Do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And sh but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, no, no kiss of greeting. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased. And there's that intensive word, not ceased to repeatedly kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Listen, her act of worship, her kisses of adoration, glorified and exalted the Lord Jesus Christ for who he really was. And in that submission, in that devotion, in that act of faith, her sins were forgiven. And a heart of love was produced. So that's the kiss of adoration, an act of worship. But let's look at the other kiss in the Bible. And it's really the kiss that's most common, and it's this, the kiss of affection as an act of fellowship with friends, with family, and friends. So, if the kiss of adoration is an act or expression of worship, this is the kiss that is an act of fellowship. This is the greeting of one another with a holy kiss. It's an act of fellowship with family and friends. Let me give you two examples, one from the Gospels and one from the book of Acts. The first example is this. A kiss was a sign of radical reconciliation. Radical reconciliation between a loving father and a prodigal son. And you know the story. It's in Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son leaves, takes his inheritance, wastes it on prostitute and immoral living and lives with the pigs and eats with the pigs. He comes to his spiritual senses. He repents and he returns to his father. And yet a far way off, his father sees him. And we look at verse 20, Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And again, it's the intensive word for kissing. It means he repeatedly kissed him. He emotionally, passionately just kissed him and kissed him, kissed him, embraced him. This is how the father showed his repentant prodigal son 
that he had already forgiven him and was ready to reconcile him. Welcome, you're accepted. I love you. You're restored. It's a hello greeting that says, welcome home, welcome back. That's what we should be doing each Sunday. We should be saying, welcome home, welcome back to one another. Amen? Especially those that have had a hard week. Especially those who are lost. Especially those who are seeking. Especially those who are burdened in sin. The second example is in Acts chapter 20. And here we see that the kiss of affection was an expression of sorrowful separation. A sorrowful separation between dear friends and co-laborers in the gospel. If the prodigal son received kisses of a welcome back hello, well then Paul received from the Ephesian elders a goodbye farewell kiss. Acts 20 verse 36. Let's look at it. Paul had spent years in Ephesus teaching, training, discipling. Now he was leaving for Jerusalem. And he had been told by the Holy Spirit that more than likely he, he would be arrested. He would be persecuted. And he just tells the Ephesian leaders, look, I probably will never see you face to face again. And here's their reaction. Look at uh, Acts 20, verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul. There's again, there's that idea of physical touch, hugging, embracing and repeatedly kissed. Again, that intensive word. This time, the translation really picks it up and plays out that word. Repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying to the ship. So there's wailing, there's weeping, and there's all sorts of kisses of, aff- of affection. What? An expression of, uh, of fellowship. Now, please understand, that in all these kissings, these repeated kissings, and we have to say this in, a, in our sexualized culture, that there's nothing sexual, there's nothing immoral, there's nothing impure of, uh, about this. But that raises a question, doesn't it? And the question is this, and we need to ask and answer it. Is there a kiss that celebrates romantic love in the Bible? Okay, is it? And, and, and let's be honest, when we think of kissing, this is exactly, we, we don't go here. We don't really go here, especially in our American culture, which is very isolated and very individualistic. Where we go is right here to the romantic love and kiss. Am I right? Okay. So, here it is. I call this the kiss of celebration. So, we have one more kiss. We have the kiss. Oh, I'll put that up here. It's an aspect of this. It's a kiss of celebration, of romantic love within the covenant of marriage. And this is an expression of partnership with one man and one woman for one lifetime. It's an expression of partnership in marriage. The kiss of celebration is an act of partnership with one spouse in marriage. This kiss is an expression of biblical passion. Most of you probably, many of us have never heard those two words together, right? Biblical passion. You mean there's such a thing? You bet there is. And it's the best passion in the world. It's the world, it's the passion that the world wants and can never experience outside of Christ. It's the passion that the world uses to sell beer and cars and clothing and everything else. 
and yet it can only be found in Christ. It is only found within the confines and the boundaries of one man, one woman, for one lifetime. Biblical passion between one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. The kiss of celebration is an expression of passion within the commitment of marriage, and it's mentioned in the Bible. And listen, it's never looked down upon. Biblical passion is never looked down on. It's never viewed as dirty. Listen, if you think of sex and kissing and you can have only had due to experience in our own sinfulness a feeling of dirtiness and uncleanness, come to Jesus, be washed clean this morning and understand that there's a passion and a beauty and a celebration of intimacy in marriage that can be yours in Christ Jesus, according to the will of God. And it's not mentioned often in the Bible, but when it is, it jumps right in. Song of Song. Where are you going to find this? The Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Now, that just makes sense if you know about the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is the marriage manual, the biblical marriage manual of the Bible for romantic love. And you don't get into the first chapter. You can't make it past verse 2, and it says this. Listen. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. The Bible talks about kissing that is so intoxicating, so pleasurable, that it's better than the best wine. Kisses, Kiss me with the kisses of my mouth. That's the Hebrew intensive. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. That's Hebrew for saying, let's make out. Kiss me with the kiss. I mean, just, just unload on me. Let's do it. Okay? This is intoxicating love filled with passion and satisfaction. And then in, in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me either. He's saying, look, I love you so much. I can't wait to kiss you so much. I wish you were like my brother where culturally it'd be okay for us to be together outside and show the kiss of affection. But what I really want to do is the kiss of celebration. Amen. Man, you didn't think you were going to get this good stuff. It's getting better too. Hang on. It's getting better. This is all in the Bible. This is in the Bible because God's not ashamed of that which he created. Amen. Don't let the world rob and distort you of the greatest gifts that God has for us according to His will, in keeping with His word. This is intense love filled with anticipation. I can't wait to kiss you. And, and, and it's anticipating what kissing, kissing leads to in marriage. The purpose of this type of kiss is to express physical or sexual intimacy for the lover brings his bride into the chambers of the bedroom. This is the kind of kissing that is a no-go area for singles and unmarried couples. The marriage bed is not to be defiled. But here's what you get to do if you're married. Proverbs chapter 5. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Everybody's over 17 in here, right? Okay. Proverbs chapter 5. It's in the Bible, so we're okay. Okay? Proverbs chapter 5, 15 through 23. Kiss of celebration, which is an aspect reserved for marriage of the kiss of affection. Here we go. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? In other words, have intimacy with your own wife. Don't have it with other people. Okay? 
And if you, if you need more detailed explanation of that, go to the commentaries. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for a lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he will go astray. Now what he's saying there, there's a whole lot of kissing that's not expressly stated in that passage. But it's all there. And it's not just kissing on the lips. It's kissing all over. Listen. There are certain places you cannot kiss unless the person you are kissing is your spouse. You say, Chris, why are you saying Because we're watching movies, we're seeing stuff all the time that says it's okay to do this with anyone and anything, anytime. And God is not the killjoy, but God has boundaries. And he says, look, you cannot kiss the most intimate areas of someone who isn't your spouse and call it a holy kiss. The intimate parts of the body are for the satisfaction of that person's married spouse or future married spouse if you're single and for nobody else. In fact, the Bible records a time when Isaac, the son of Abraham, was making out with his wife Rebecca. You didn't know all this was in the Bible, did you? It's right there in Genesis 26, verse 8. It says this, it came about when he had been there a long time, that Ambalek, the king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Except that they're outside, it would seem, and this guy is a stalker, okay? Well, it's because uh, Isaac had this beautiful wife, and like his father, he learned this from his father, he didn't want the king to take his wife and uh, take her into his harem. And so he lied and said, this is my sister. But one day the king's looking out the window and says, you don't do that with your sister. Now the Bible doesn't say what he's doing. Now I love, there's some things with the old King James that you never forget. The old King James says, he was sporting with his wife. I like that. Gwen, we need to do some sport. Okay? We need to do some sporting. I'm not very athletic, but I, I can I can I can I can I can do that. Okay, I gotta stop. I, I told I prayed before I taught this lesson. Lord help me to be sanctified. It needs to stay holy. Eugene Peterson cuts to the chase. Isaac was fondling his wife, and let me tell you, there was kissing going on. And 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 I'm just not gonna go any farther, okay? Listen, here's the warning. Marrieds the kiss of celebration is an act of passion for your spouse only. Drink water from your own well. Singles, never kiss outside a marriage in a way that defrauds the other person by promising them more than you can deliver in the sight of God. Or by arousing passions in them through your kissing that you cannot satisfy before a holy God. Are you with me in this? This is what our kids need to understand. This is what we need to understand. Affairs begin with a single kiss. Sexual immorality begins with a single kiss. 1 Thessalonians 4 has tons to say. Here's the bottom line, though. 
while this is in the Bible, by far the most common kiss in the Bible is the kiss of affection between family and friends. The focus in the Bible is the kiss of affection. Without without rejecting this, all the while celebrating this, but that's not the focus. Because in the end, in eternity, there is neither married or given in marriage. And in the body of Christ, they're single and married. And the kiss of affection is for family and friends. It's for everyone here today. Amen? So, most often, the kiss of affection in the Bible is with family. It's between parents, grandparents, and younger, and fully grown children. It's between siblings, cousins, and in-laws. But it's also for friends. And probably the greatest example of the kiss of affection between friends in the culture of the Hebrew culture is Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel twenty forty one. I want to read you this passage because it's often distorted, again, in our perverse sexualized culture, this verse is perverted into a claim of homosexuality, but that's because the unsaved man, the natural man, does not understand the theology of kissing in the Bible. And notice what it says. When the lad was gone, David rose from from the south side and fell on his face to the ground. He bowed three times, and they, that is Jonathan and David, his friend, kissed each other and wept together. But David wept more. Again, we have a farewell, goodbye kiss of affection, intense, repeated. It's often done as a hello greeting, as a farewell, goodbye. And we still do that in our culture, do we not? Most often when we're kissing, what are we doing? Hello, goodbye. And we just, I just told you it'll make you richer, healthier, and happier. Okay? Um, it's often done, but also in the Bible, this kiss of affection is often done as a blessing or anointing. I think that's important for the holy kiss. We need to be greeting one another and imparting blessing to one another. And we need to realize that we greet one another because we have been set apart by God into his family. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. It's a special occasion when we come together. Every Sunday is a celebration and a time of anointing and blessing. So let me ask you this. What does your greeting communicate? Well, first of all, let me ask the hard question. Did you greet anybody? I mean, really greet them. I'm thankful for our greeting team. I greeted uh, the dollar several times. I just bang on that glass as I run up and down the I was glad you guys are out there greeting. Have you greeted someone today? And what did your greeting communicate? Did it communicate you are blessed? Did it communicate that you are set apart for the work of the Lord? We're here to worship Him. We're here this morning to work for Him and to go out this week to work with Him. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. What did you communicate? But there's a downside to kissing in the Bible, and it's this. There is a kiss that is a cult, uh, the kiss is a cultural expression that we've already talked about can be distorted and it can be distorted for the destruction of others. So here's what you have. You have a kiss of destruction. A kiss of destruction. And it's an expression of deception. It is an 
Expression of deception. Because you know what it does? You know what this kiss does? It offers false affection and offers false adoration. The kiss of destruction is a deceptive kiss that promises affection, but it doesn't deliver, and it promises adoration to the Lord, and yet it gives it to a false god. The kiss of destruction is an act of false affection and false adoration. It's an act of deception. And I've given you five examples in Scripture. Okay, I've given you those examples. You can look at those. I just I, I want you to get the feel. And as I looked at those five, most of them we have probably had that kind of kiss delivered to us. And if we really were honest, we've probably kissed others with a kiss of destruction and deception. Some kiss deceptively so as to self selfishly get what they want from others. In Genesis 27, you have the very first kiss recorded in the Bible between human individuals, and it's Isaac, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, Jacob deceptively kissing his father, pretending to be someone he's not. And let me tell you, there's a whole lot of kissing like that going on in our culture and in our schools and in the workplace. A kissing that is deceptive in order to selfishly get what you want, whether that is a promotion or a, a role in the, in the hay or whatever that is. And this one deceptive kiss, pretending to be someone he wasn't, ripped this family apart and it was never restored this side of heaven. Number two, some kiss hypocritically to use others for their own selfish purposes. In 2 Samuel 15, 5, we have David's son Absalom. Absalom wanted to overthrow his father, King David. He wanted to be king in his place. So he positioned himself out the gate and he would greet people. And as they would greet him, they would say they would greet him in the in the fashion. But he would make a special effort to kiss each one. Wow, he must really like me. Wow, he's a nice guy. So when it came time to overthrow David, guess what? He had a whole crew of people that he had manipulated into thinking that he really liked him when all Absalom liked was himself and his nice, beautiful hair, which later got him into trouble. He positioned at himself. It, listen, some kiss to hypocritically use others for their own selfish purposes. Number three, some kiss treacherously, using friendship as a cover to get close enough to hurt their enemies and get revenge. In 2 Samuel 20, we have Joab who kisses a man. And again, these are kisses, these are kisses of greeting and fellowship. But here's what he does. He pulls the guy in close enough because he's got a knife and he, he stabs him. We could probably spend several hours in this room talking about people who drew us in with a kiss only to hurt us, destroy us, and get revenge even on us. There's a reason why the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then number four, some kiss seductively to satisfy their own lust with no regard for God's holiness. And, and turn to, in your Bibles to Proverbs 7. Um, we've kind of already talked about this, but it's just good to read these warnings in Scripture. I think we need them. I need them. You need them. Look at Proverbs 7. 
12. This is a distortion of the kiss of celebration. This is a deception of the kiss of celebration in order to for destruction. Look at Proverbs 7.12. It's talking about the adulterous woman. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and she lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. Offerings. Today I have paid my vows, therefore I have come out to meet you. He, she didn't come out to meet him, she came out to meet anyone. This is the bar scene, this is the, the pickup scene, this is the, uh, the date uh, the digital dating scene where I'm out to meet you. No, I'm out to meet anyone that will satisfy my needs. I was due to offer peace offerings today. I paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. And here I have found you. What's she saying? Man, you're special. You're, spe- you're the one. You're the one. Oh, you're, you're busy? Okay, you're the one, I mean. You're the one. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I mean, you're the one. That's exactly... And it all starts with a kiss. It all starts with a kiss. A kiss without integrity of character and honesty of truth is deceptive and destructive. And then we'll have to end here. Some kiss idolatry, I can't say that, uh, in, in idol worship of man-made idols and false gods. And we'll pick up here next week. You say, because several times in the Bible, it talks about kissing false idols. And you say, you know, that doesn't relate to us. I mean, why are, why are we digging back in the Bible? Hey, you haven't visited some religions in this country and around the world. I've been in, I've been in, in countries, I've been in so-called churches where they're kissing everything that's there. They're kissing the altar. They're kissing the rings of priests and popes. They're kissing icons. You can go to to churches and they have icons and relics behind glass and it's the most unsanitary thing you can imagine. They're lining up for rows and they are kissing that same glass. I'm like, couldn't they at least have somebody there wiping it, sanitizing it, something? But you know what they're doing when they're kissing? It's a distortion of the kiss of adoration. They are praying. They are praying. In fact, the book of Job we'll see next week talks about Blowing kisses to the sun and the moon. You say, well, who blows kisses as prayers in false worship? Well, some religions do this every time they pass a holy thing. That You're throwing up prayers with gestures and with kissing. And all that is, is a distortion of this. So, we'll pick up there next week. I want you to think. I want to leave you with this one statement, or this one question, rather. Who do you kiss? Who do you kiss? And why do you kiss them? Who do you kiss? And why do you kiss them? You say, well, I'm single. I don't get to kiss. Oh, that's all right. But you can still give the kiss of adoration to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can submit and totally surrender yourself to him. And you can still give, as we'll see next week, you can still give the kiss of affection to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you can do it without deception, without hypocrisy, without idolatry. You can give it as an act of adoration and affection. Isn't that good? There's a lot about kissing in the Bible. Are you with me?
All right. We'll learn more. Don't, if you're not sure what the holy kiss is, don't do it just yet. Okay? I don't want anybody getting in trouble. But you can greet one another in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. I'm so glad the Bible is so practical that it addresses everything. It addresses where people are, are wondering, where they're hurting. And it gets into the most intimate and dearest places of our heart. It's because you created it all. So, Lord, help us to think about how we greet one another. Help us also to think about the theology of kissing. And may we dedicate our lips and our hearts to adoring you and showing affection in brotherly love to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.